Father, we thank you, Lord, for letting us be here tonight. Lord, I pray you bless all that come out to the class. And Father, I pray as we open up your word that uh, you give us light and guidance. And Father, help us to expound and search out those things that you'd have us to learn. And uh, Father, I just ask you to wash us in the blood tonight and give us the right spirit. And we just ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week, I feel like I kind of rushed there towards the end, uh, try to get wrapped up. But um, we were just talking about kind of the illustration that Abraham was given uh, here at the beginning of the chapter. And we were kind of breaking it down in just some real simple points um, as to, you know, just some bullet points that you could reference. Um, and that there was promises made to Abraham. Some of them were physical, some of them were spiritual um, all of them were made to the seed. Isaac, the seed, is a type of Jesus Christ, showing that what God did before the law was a reference to something he was going to do. Um, that's Galatians 3.13, uh, when he said, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Um, and so that was a future, a future reference of what he was going to do. Both dispensations are controlled by grace, and where grace is in charge, the scriptures are always pointing to Christ. So both dispensations are controlled by grace, meaning the dispensation that Abraham was in and the dispensation that you and I are in, and Paul is writing to us in the book of Galatians. So <coughs> both of those dispensations are controlled by grace, and then the rule of thumb is that wherever is controlled by grace, the scriptures are always pointing to Jesus Christ. Spiritual promises uh, had a future reference to Jesus Christ. The coming of the law could not add or subtract to those promises. Um, so the things that were given to Moses, and we'll get into a little bit more of that here in the next couple minutes. The things given to Moses could no, by no means um, add or subtract from what God did to Abraham. Uh, the physical promises of Genesis 15, 18 were made with reference to Christ, um, at least after Genesis 12. Uh, because the word seed pops up in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. Uh, literal inheritance was promised to Abraham more than 430 years before uh, the giving of the law. And because of that, um, even though the literal Israel is temporarily displaced and set aside, it must eventually receive the inheritance that was promised to it. And that's where you get the, um, the mystery of the restoration of Israel, which is Romans chapter 11. Okay, so we'll pick it up. I know that we just blew through it again, but if you have, anybody have any questions about some of the stuff we went over last week? Anybody think of anything? I know we, we blew through it, and this, and this tends to be somewhat of a tricky passage, just going back and forth um, between Abraham and Isaac, and promises, and inheritance, and covenants, and all this different stuff, and a lot of people get confused, so if you have any questions, just let me know. Um, uh, we did talk about how this is a as a as a section of scripture that is you know can be absolutely set up as a trap if you come to it with the wrong heart and thinking that you know your intellect is smarter than God uh, or you're going to reason your way through this thing or something like that. Then it's definitely a place where it can get you. And uh, that's important to know, you know, as far as the scriptures are concerned, he, he calls them sharper than a two-edged sword. And it can, it can, uh, it can cut away the, the hardness of a man's heart, or it can pierce right through somebody's heart and it can take them out. 
And uh, a lot of times our attitude towards the book is what governs the outcome of what we get from the book. Um, and that's what's special about the book that you have is that uh, you don't just read it, it reads you. And it exposes what it says over there in Hebrews, uh, the thoughts and the intents of the heart, what your intentions are. Um, it exposes your intentions. It exposes um, your thoughts. And so it exposes your motives. Um, a lot of people approach the Bible to be right. A lot of people approach the Bible to teach um, what they want to teach, the, whatever pet doctrine that they have or whatever they want to thrust upon you know, the people in which they're teaching or preaching to. Um, and the Bible says that those people, they rest the scriptures to their own destruction. And so, you know, I think the difference between the way we approach the Bible and some is that, you know, we believe that all the answers are found in it. And if I don't know them, I'm wrong, right? And, uh, and if I don't understand, that's not God's fault. That's my fault. And there's an answer. Um, it may not be the answer that I like. <laughs> it may not be the answer I think it is. But there's an answer. Um, and it's, and it's going to be, and the answer is not going to be found in a commentary. And it's not going to be found by some scholar guy, you know, in an institute somewhere um, that got some new thing. It's going to be found within the pages of the book in which you're holding. It defines itself. It explains itself. And we believe in sola scriptura, that scripture was scripture. And line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's how we learn the Bible. So, uh, verse number 18. Uh, verse number 18, for if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Again, 18, pretty self-explanatory. For if the inheritance um, uh, be of the law, it is no more of promise. So just again showing the difference between the law and this promise uh, given to us by faith. Uh, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And so since it was promised to Abraham, uh, again, the law is going to do nothing to add or subtract to that. Okay? Verse number 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? Question mark. Right? Wherefore then serveth the law? So, he's, so he's, what he's doing is he's asking the obvious question that, you know, a critic or somebody who is in a contrary position that he's, you know, contrary to what he's trying to teach here, what they would say. So he's given the opposing argument, right? And so he says, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added, uh, it was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the uh, promise was made. And if it was ordained by angels... Uh, in the hand of a mediator. Okay, wherefore uh, then serveth the law? Paul answers immediately, it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come. It says to whom the seed was made. Okay, so the law, listen, the law ceased in its usefulness when Jesus Christ showed up. Okay, so should we serve the law? He's, he, he answers it immediately. It was added because of transgressions. If you think about how the law came into being, why did the, the law come into being? They were in captivity in Egypt for years. They had intermingled themselves with a culture that was fundamentally against the Lord. They were now interwoven. 
And so the reason that the Lord brings in the law, it says it was added because of transgression. Till when? Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Okay, it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. If you understand a couple things about that word mediator, you, knew, you know who that's hinting towards, right? That's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so there's only one mediator, and that's Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying here is, okay, so should we, should we serve the law? Well, that's foolish. Why would you serve it? Because it was, impl- it was implemented because of sin. So why would you worship it? It was there um, for the Lord to, to, to use it to purge and to refine uh, the, the nation of Israel as they came out of the land of Egypt to set aside, or that's what that word ecclesia, a called out assembly. It was there to govern them and uh, establish their set of laws, establish their set of, um, as a nation, to establish their own laws, to establish their own um, ordinances and expectations of the Lord and so on and so forth. So God takes this nation that uh, was birthed through Abraham and he, he gives them the law to straighten them out. They've got years and years of inter- intermingling with Egypt. And so that's not a point where, you know, you, you know that's not the point where you start to worship the, the system there that was there for a specific reason. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter number 2, look in verse number 14. Again, on this thought that when, the, uh, when Jesus Christ came, the law ceased in its usefulness. Verse number 14, For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Obviously a reference to Jesus Christ, um, but what are the things that he did? Uh, is that he took down, he broke down the middle wall of partition between us. And what does that middle wall consist of? As he says in verse 15, laws, uh, the law of commandments uh, contain in ordinances. And so that law that was, that was this great barrier um, between man and God, Jesus Christ comes in because the law is tormenting. The law is negative. The law is, is conviction. The law is condemnation. Condemn, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. You should do this. Yes, sir. 100%. Yeah. Correct. So how come you sometimes feel like you're under the law a lot? <laughs> Especially when I'm at work. <laughs> right. So, so what is important to understand, there, the law served a purpose. The law served a purpose. The law is said to be three things in Romans. It's said to be holy, just, and good. That's what the law is. The law isn't made bad because Jesus Christ came. 
The law is just made of none effect now that Jesus Christ came. Paul recognizes the importance of the law, which you'll see as we continue on in Galatians. He calls it the schoolmaster. That brings us to Jesus Christ, for without the law, how would I have known not to covet? How would I have known that my sin was, as the Bible says, exceedingly sinful? He says that in Romans chapter 7 when he goes back and forth with that same dilemma that you're speaking of. Romans chapter 7 is a very relatable chapter. And that is, you know, the things that I do, I don't want to do. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing them. And, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And, and, in, and, in, that, and in that tone, we, we, you know, we see that the, what the law does. And that it puts you in this box. That, and it, what it does is it shows you, I can't do it. I can't do it. There's no amount of discipline and there's no amount of self-will and there's no amount of self-control that can get you to follow the nth degree of the law. The law demands perfection. You're not perfect. The design of the law is to show you just how unperfect you are. Okay? That's the purpose of it. Uh, so the law ceased its usefulness when Jesus Christ showed up. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. And, we'll, and, and let's circle back to that as we go through a couple of these things. Maybe we'll get some more clarity just with some of the stuff I'm going to bring out here in the next couple of seconds. Uh, go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 13. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Okay, and then verse number 15, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he, show, uh, he made a show of them openly, triumphing, uh, uh, triumphing over them in it. And so again, taking that law, taking those ordinances that were contrary to us. Again, the law being perfection. If we're not perfect, then that law is going to be, there's going to be something in that thing that's contrary to what's in me. And so what Jesus Christ does is He, he comes in and by faith you then obtain um, his, his, his gift of salvation, which is what takes that thing away. I'm no, longer, I'm no longer under the burden of the law. My relationship with Jesus Christ is no longer governed um, by the works of the law. Period. Now that's difficult for some because, I mean, how do you... How do, you hold, how do you hold somebody underneath? How do you hold somebody in bondage when the Bible makes it so clear that they're not in bondage? Right? 100%. The majority of the time, that's what we do. Is, is we think that we gain favor with God based on the things we do. And you don't. You couldn't be in more favor with God than you just being saved. Okay? You're accepted in the beloved, the Bible says. Okay? You're accepted in the beloved. 
And with that acceptance, you are bone of his bone, you're flesh of his flesh, you're now a son, you're no longer a stranger, you're a son, you're family, you're kin, okay? And so with that, um, there's, this is where, you know, a lot of folks, like I say, they get, they get tripped up because, you know, um, what do you, what do you do then? Uh, you just say you can sit down and do nothing the rest of your life because now you're saved and that's it? Well, no. Watchman Nee has a great 85 to 90 page book that I think every Christian should read, and it's called Sit, Walk, Stand. I've referenced it a few, a, a few times, probably in sermons or teaching or something, but it's a great principle um, that you first have to learn how to sit, and then you learn how to walk, and then you can learn how to stand. You can't learn to stand until you first learn to sit, and you can't learn to walk until you first learn to sit. Sitting is a reference to you putting your entire weight, your entire trust, securely on Jesus Christ to hold you up. He's holding every bit of you, all your weight, every bit of it. You're resting in Him. That's where your relationship starts. Now, as you start to mature, what happens is, is you then start to walk. Now, again, if you try to stand before you walk, you're going to get run over, right? Standing is something, um, standing is something that, um, that comes later on. But then that walk with Jesus Christ is always coupled back to the sitting. And so I'll walk for a little while, and then you know what i got to do? i got to sit. You know, and then I'll walk for a little while, and then I'll sit. The picture is the nation of Israel in the wilderness, Right? The picture is Abraham. What did God call Abraham to do? Anybody know? Don't overthink it. Okay, well, okay. so he had a bunch of kids, there's no doubt. He says the star, that, that was part of the promise, that his seed was going to be like the stars of heaven. But what did God call Abraham to do? What's that? Well, that's what he required in order to, to receive the promise. But there's a calling that God put on Abraham. You know what it was? Hey, you're in early Chaldees. Up, come with me, and I'll show you, and, 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 and follow me, and I'll show you to a place that I'll, that I'll show you. He gives him no actual destination. You know what he does? He walks around until he dies. Did you ever think of that? That's all Abraham did. And as he walked, he raised his family, and he tried to do whatever the Lord had him to do. When, he, when the Lord came by, he killed the fatted calf and did this and the other. And he, and he, you know, he, he, he messed up a couple times and, and, and had uh, successes and had failures and had to deal with the splitting of, of his cousin uh, a lot over there in Sodom and Gomorrah and got through that and had to you know, get over the, the, the attraction and the pull of the world. And he, and he had to keep his family in line. And, and you know what it was? He literally just followed the Lord and walked and he rested and he walked and he rested and he walked and he rested and he had some kids and he raised them for God and he did the best he could to stay away from Sodom and Gomorrah and deliver those that, were, that he loved from Sodom and Gomorrah, try to be an example and be willing to go down there and try to pull them out of the muck and the mire and you know what happened? And then he died. And then he died. There you go. <laughs> 
There's walking for you. And then what Moses do? Moses, he had to stand on the, on the law in which God gave him, and he had to deal with the people, and, and uh, now he had, a, now he had a, uh, an organized following, and he was now the mediator between the people and God and God and the people. And so Moses, although he was still walking, right, 40 years in the wilderness, what's Moses doing? Well, he had to learn to sit first. He had to learn to rest first. He got that on the backside of a desert, right? Tending sheep. And then he comes in, and then he comes in uh, to, to Egypt, and he delivers God's people, and he starts walking. And he walks them, you know, through the, through the transition between, you know, and the going back and forth between Pharaoh and the people and all this different stuff. And eventually he gets them all in a single file line. And he brings them to the edge of the Red Sea. And God says, all right, he splits that thing and he, they walk through. And they walk and they walk and they walk and they walk and they walk. And then God gives them the law. God takes them up on Mount Sinai and gives them the law. And they walk and they set up a camp. And they rest until the Lord tells them to go again. And then they walk again. But the whole time now, he's got, now he's got ordinances and he's got this and he's got this and he's got all these other responsibilities, right, that, that Abraham never had. And so now he's, he has to stand on those and balance the stance to keep God's, you know, uh, banner raised and keep God's standard high. But he also has to walk. And you know, one of the hardest things Moses had to continually get in his mind, he had to always constantly remember to sit and to rest. And, to, and, to, and that's, why, uh, that's why I think Moses gets to the place where he's crying out to God. He says, I can't do this. I can't do this, Lord. If you with me, Lord, I need you to show me. You know, I beseech you, show me thy glory. And he says, why don't you get in the cleft of the rock? And I'll just show you my back parts. And he, so it's like when the stand gets too hard, you always go back to the sit. And sometimes when the walk gets too hard, you got to go back to the sit. Everything's anchored in sitting. Everything. And so you can't walk and you can't stand until you learn how to sit. And so I'm not saying that Christian service is you sitting all the time. No, Christian service is a balance of you sitting and praying and walking and standing and doing whatever it is the Lord puts in your path to do. You say, what is that? I have no idea what that is for you. I don't have any idea what Christian service looks like in your life. I have no idea. I don't even know what a lot of you have on your plates. You know, yeah, some of you have kids at home. Some of you don't have kids at home anymore. Some of you, um, you know, are single, married, all kinds of stuff. You know, your job situations are different and your responsibilities outside are different. You know what I know? Whatever God put in your hand to do, that's a part of you serving God. So if you go to work and you make money and you do whatever you got to do, you know what you do? You try to be the best testimony you could possibly be at your job. Try to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ and be the best at your job that you can be and, and see whatever the Lord does for you there. And you come to church every time the doors are open. And, and if, you know, the Lord puts it on your heart to come to Thursday night Bible class, well, that's extracurricular. That's a blessing. The Lord put it on your heart to come do that. And if the Lord, you know, Hey, why don't you put some tracks in your pocket? And, you know, maybe get over your, you know, the fear of talking to people or the fear of, you know, 
you know, thinking that somebody thinking that you're crazy. And so you got some tracks on you. And you know what you start doing? You start going to the gas pump. And the Lord says, what about that guy? You're like, I don't want to bother that guy over there. Why in the world would I talk to that guy? He ain't talking to me. Why in the world would I talk to him? I don't want nobody talking to me when I'm pumping gas, you know. And then, you know what happens? The Lord says, well, why don't you go ahead and do it? You know what you do? You go over there, you pass him on a gospel track, and all of a sudden your heart palpitates, and you got and you got a shot of joy down your arm, and you're like, "Man, Lord, that felt real good." He's like, "Yeah, isn't it pretty neat to do that." You see, it's serving Jesus Christ isn't this big thing. It's you learning how to sit, how to walk, and how to stand in whatever capacity the Lord does. The pastor gave a testimony or, or the illustration of Brother Dobbins. You know what? He's, never, he's not a big missionary on the field of Africa if he's not first doing the little things back here in America. You know, and you may never be called to be a Brother Dobbins, and that's okay. You may be a member of Anchor Baptist Church, and you may raise a family, and you may you know, have a great church uh, to come to and, and be happy and spiritually growing and everything else. And you may pass out tracks to folks that you go over see at Walmart and you go to the grocery store or you work on your kids, you work on your kin and you work on whoever it is. You just do the best you can. Okay, well, guess what? That's a successful Christian life if that's what God called you to do. Now, where you get into some trouble is when the Lord says, hey, what about you doing this for me? And you go, I don't think I'm really cut out for that. He says, yeah, I'm not really worried about you being what you think you're cut out for. I just think that maybe, maybe that'd be good for you to do. And you go, yeah, Lord, but I think I'm a little busy. He says, well, why are you so busy? Is there something, if, if that's what I want you to do, is there something that could maybe, you know, that you could take out? Is there something maybe that, you know, you could maybe put off to the wayside in order if this is what I wanted you to do? And, ah, Lord, I don't, I don't know. And so you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, just like Moses did. And eventually the Lord says, are you going to do it or not? Right? And when, and when you get to that point, now what you're doing is you're grieving. And now you're refusing to do what the Lord told you to do. Now, it's not based on your ability or what you think your ability is. A lot of times the Lord chooses the base things and the despised things and the things that aren't wise. What does He do that? He does that to confound those that are wise. And so a lot of times we look and we say, I can't do certain thing because I'm not smart enough, because I can't memorize, because I can't speak in front of people, because I, and you put whatever excuse you want in there why you can't do it. Right? And the Lord says, I didn't ask if you could do that. You know what he said, you know what he does? He says, who made man's mouth? Moses, who made man's mouth? You don't think I know you got a speech impediment? Let me do that. I'll fix your little red wagon, man. Get you Aaron, and I'll let him be a, a mouthpiece, and, 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 and you'll be instead of God to him, and he'll be instead of you to the people. How about that? And the Lord will take every one of your excuses away. Now, when you get into that situation, and you're constantly bucking the Lord on that thing, now you're in grieving territory, and that's when now all of a sudden you're trying to sit, but there's like, you know, a burr, and you're like, man, my sit, it's just not as comfortable as it used to be. And the Lord says, yes, because, man, maybe you've been sitting too long. It's like you're sitting on the toilet and your left leg goes numb, you know? <laughs> it's like, you've been sitting too long, man, get up, you know? <laughs> and it's like, how come I don't feel that anymore? It's like, oh, probably because you got to get up, man, and, and you got to move around a little bit, right? You're pinching that nerve that's down the backside of your leg. 
Sometimes the Lord's got a funny way of getting you to getting you to getting you to stand up and start moving forward, right? And then there's some of those that they've been walking or standing so long. You ever see a guy almost pass out? I had a guy at my wedding, and I went to school with him. He was in my wedding, and and uh, the guy that preached my wedding, he was waxing elephant and all this different stuff. He took way too long, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think he preached like 30 minutes, and <coughs> or more. And uh, guy was standing there, and man, he's white as a ghost, and he's just. He's got his knees locked, you know, all the things you're not supposed to do when you're standing up there for a long period of time. And I'm thinking, I looked at him, I said, if you pass out, I'm going to punch you in the head on the way down. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but sometimes people get like that. They've been standing for so long or they've been walking for so long. You know what they don't, they think that they, they think that they fail God if they, if they stop and sit down for a minute. And their feet are blistered and their shins are splintered and their legs are tired, and their knees are locked, and they're about to pass out, they're about to fall out in the way, they're white as a ghost, and they're doing the best they can, but they think that it's compromise to sit. It's never compromise to sit. A lot of times the Lord always, He always has that place for you to sit. It's not means you're going to sit there forever, but a lot of times in the midst of walking, in the midst of standing, sometimes you just got to sit for a while. You know, I don't know how we got off on that tangent, but maybe it was necessary but we're talking about the law and again uh, with Colossians he told you that um, excuse me that um, I'm reading the right verse in here oh it's because I'm in two I want to be in one yeah being dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he hath quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out handwriting and ordinances against you, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Go one more, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse number 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now again, Christ is the end of the law. Okay, over there in John, uh, I think it's John chapter 1, I think. Um, let's go there real quick. John chapter 1. Yeah, John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You see that? I, I, I look at those things and I see that the law served a purpose. But he told you back here in uh, Galatians chapter 3. Again, I'm trying to get the understanding of verse number 19 back in our text. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 says, Wherefore then serveth the law? Well, why would you do that? It was added because of transgressions. Until what time? Till the seed should come. Okay, the seed, um, we, had, we, we know that the seed is a reference uh, to Jesus Christ. He came through the seed of Isaac, right? The seed of Abraham. And uh, 
until the seed uh, should come, <coughs> excuse me, to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, verse number 20, Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. You know what? I'm not, I'm not done with this. I don't want to move on to that just yet. Um, let's stick with this law thing for just a second. It was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. There was no mediator between God and Abraham. Who was the mediator between God and Abraham? God spoke to Abraham directly. You see? Uh, Moses was a mediator between God and Israel. Um, the law, it's important to understand that the law is a temporary setup that ends, that ends with John the Baptist. Go to Luke chapter number 16. Luke chapter number 16. In verse number 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. It says the law and the prophets were until John. Okay? The law does not contradict the promise. Now again, when we talk about this promise, this promise is, is uh, the salvation or the spiritual inheritance that the Lord gives uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, the law doesn't contradict the promise. That's back in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. Is the law then against the promise of God? Quickly answered, God forbid. For if there had been a law given, uh, for if there had uh, been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. So is 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 the law? Um, he asked he asked the question in the first part of that verse. Is the law against the promise of God? Well, no, it's not. He said, God forbid. All right. So it it does not contradict the promise. The law is holy, just, and good. Like I said before, go to Romans chapter seven. I'll give you the reference now. See, in my notes, I have stuff, I've got stuff laid out in my notes, and sometimes I get ahead of myself, so forgive me. Romans chapter 7, verse number 12. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. We're not saying that the law is bad. It just, it had a purpose. You have to understand, it's not that it's bad, it's that it had a purpose, and the purpose was done when Jesus Christ came, when the seed that promise was made to came. All right? It's holy, just, and good. Given to show a man his true nature. He, that's the whole reason it's there. Uh, stay in Romans chapter 7, look in verse number 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? You see? If you make the law, as we sit here and talk about the law, you would think of it in a negative light. But is the law sin? No. The law is holy. How could the law be sinful and be holy? 
How could the law be sinful and be just? And how could the law be sinful and be good? It can't. The law isn't sin. Okay? So what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known um, lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Paul is talking about the fact that if it wasn't for the law, I would not have known the gravity of my sin. Right? The law is a great truth teller. You know, man thinks he's something great, and the law says, no, you're no good. <laughs> man thinks that he's, you know, man, I did a lot of good stuff, you know, and man, I, I'm not that bad of a person. The law says, no, you're still not very good at all. You're like, oh, but man, I, I give to charity, and man, I, I, you know, I, I, I try to encourage people, and I give money to the homeless people out on the street, and the law says, man, in his best state's altogether vanity. You're like, oh. Goodness, man, what are you talking about? You know, try to raise a family and make some money and do right and all this different stuff. He says, yeah, but you're, all your rights is filthy rag, man. You're just nothing. <laughs> man, I'm talking about Debbie Downer, you know. <coughs> it's like, I won't be around that guy very long. But you want to know something? Without that voice and without that, that condemnation that we so desperately need, See, that's where we vary in, in the world in which we live in today. We think that everything has to be uh, positive and everything has to be, you know, edifying. Everything has to be, you know what, sometimes the greatest edification you get comes through something that's very negative. You ever consider that? You know, God ever used somebody to dress you down just so that he could reveal one little nugget that you need? Ever done that before? You know, God ever used a really, really bad situation? Um, and then as you get through that situation, you saw how God got you through the situation, and then it edified you and, built, and it increased your faith? You see, you know, the Lord, He likes to do the negative first. <laughs> right? That's the gospel. Christ died, negative. For our sins, negative. And was buried, negative. Right? And then the last part of that thing is positive, man. I get saved. But not until I wade through the negative. And so, and so he's saying here that the law, it's, uh, there's, it serves a purpose. It showed the Jew <coughs> his own sinfulness. That's what the law did. It showed the Jew his own sinfulness. Could you imagine... Being a Jew in the Old Testament, knowing that if anybody wanted to even get to the real God, they had to come through you as a nation. Knowing that you had all the promises and every other nation that you ran into was just cannon fodder as far as God was concerned. That you were the apple of his eye. That you were God's favorite. Can you imagine being a Jew in the Old Testament? As long as you lived right, Man, you were taken care of. You were promised everything. He could take water from a rock, rain quail out of the sky, manna in the morning. You know what I'm saying? You imagine being a Jew in the Old Testament? You imagine being Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob running through this, 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 this backside of every desert or over there in, in, in Ur of the Chaldees, Asia Minor, all that area or whatever, and... Uh, and God speaks to you face to face, and He doesn't do that with anybody else. You know what the law did? 
It revealed the Jews their own sinfulness. It put them in right where they needed to be. It showed them exactly what they needed to know. Yes, you're the apple of my eye. Yes, you're this. Yes, you're this. Okay, and to whom much is given, much is required. So this is my requirements. How do you stand up to that? <laughs> How special are you now? <laughs> you see that thing? So it's like, man, wait a minute. It's the, you know, it's like a great equalizer. Um, there's no difference from the Jew to the Gentile as far as sin goes. Go to Romans chapter 3. The law was brought in to show the Jews their sinfulness after a long stint that they, lived, that they lived in Egypt. And God says, hey, listen, I can tell you right now, we're not, if we're going to do this nation thing, you can forget all that e Egypt stuff. We're going to do it my way. And so he brings in the law. And there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile when it comes to sin um, uh, in the law. So Romans chapter 3, look in verse number 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. You see that? It's the great equalizer, and it's, yeah, it was given to the Jews, but it was true of all men. Right? The truth contained in the law did not negate those that were Gentiles. That's why Gentiles could come in and become proselytes to the Jewish faith. And then what do they do? They come underneath the guides of the Jewish law. Because the Jewish law was blanketed everybody. That's why, it's just, that's why it's just as true for you as it is for me. Right? It's, it shows the true nature of man. And, uh, and it exposes him. The law was given to teach. <coughs> that's why it's a schoolmaster. That's back in our text in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 24. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. It was a schoolmaster. It was a teacher. You know, you ever have a you ever have a teacher that was just really hard on you? Yeah? Anybody ever have a teacher like that? And you're like, what in the world's your deal? <laughs> My goodness, man. You wake up on the wrong side of the bed every day? Like, what is wrong with you? You know, why are you so sinking ramped up all the time and going on and on and on? And then, you know, you've seen it, you know, in movies and all that kind of stuff, and it's very, you know, storytellish and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, the, the teacher that's really hard on the individual, and the kid doesn't get it, and they're like, why, you know? And then they get up and they blow up at the teacher, you know, and the teacher's got, the, like, an ace in their pocket, and they're like, yeah, it's because I see the great potential you have, and, you know. And they're like, oh, you believe in me, you know? <laughs> you know? Well, you think... You think you think, about, you think about the law, what does the law do? Every time you turn around, it's like, you're no good. You're no good. You're like, man, lay off. You know, I'm trying to do the best I can. Yeah, you, you can't be good. It's impossible. You're, you're free from righteousness. What a way to say it, you know. You're free. Not, you're not free from sin. You're free from righteousness. You couldn't do good if you tried. That's how bad you are. You're like, 
man, you know, that's how you, that's what you think about me? He's like, absolutely, you know. But you know what it does is it teaches you that you need something outside of yourself to help you. If you learn from it, you'll learn God's standards are too high. That's what you'll learn. So what some people do is they say, ah, it's impossible to live that thing. Fooey on it. If I can't live up to it, and I've been trying, and I've been trying, and I've been trying, and they put out their smallest violin, and they say, yeah, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, and I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, and I guess I'll go eat worms. And if God is this hard to please, then nobody can please Him. Right? You lost it. You, you refused to learn from it. You refuse to learn. But if you learn, it'll show you something. Is that the inevitable truth that's found behind the law is the key to circumventing the law. If you can get that, uh, let me repeat that, okay? If, 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 you can, if you can accept, right, the inevitable truth that you're brought to when you, when, you embrace the, when you embrace the truth that's contained in the law. That is God's standard is perfection. God's standard is too high. If you don't embrace that inevitable truth, then you miss the one thing that allows you to circumvent that law. Because the law is still true. Even though you're saved now, the law is still true. What's the difference? You've circumvented it. You've satisfied it. But you're still not perfect. So how does that work? You see what I'm saying? So there's a circumvent to that, to that law. Everything the law said was right. But how do I get around it? Because if the law is right, I have no hope. I'm going to die and I'm going to go to hell. What you learn that God's standards are too high in every one, in every class, in every age, in every grade, flunks the final. That's what you find out. That you're no better than anybody else. And everybody fails that test. Everyone. Everybody fails it. And look at what it says in verse number 19. Till the seed should come. Till the seed should come. You say, what seed are you talking about? The chosen seed of Israel's race? That's what I'm talking about. Jesus Christ comes down from heaven and born in the likeness of sinful flesh. And He takes on Himself the form of a servant and lives a sinless life that you could never live. And He fulfills the law, every jot, every tittle, in absolute perfection. Right? That's what you find out. And then you read verse 19 and it says, The chosen seed of Israel's race, He takes the exam in your place and you'll pass with flying colors. <laughs> That's what you find out. You're like, oh, wait a second. He said, He said, Wherefore then serve we the law? No, it was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come. And now that the seed has come, you know what I have? I have, I, I have the ability to appease the law. You say, oh, wait, uh, he shows you how to live it? Nope, shows me I can't. Oh, you mean he shows you, he shows you how to pay it off and, you know? Nope, 
shows me I'm too broke to pay it off. Oh, you mean he shows you how to finally, you know, cope with your self-esteem because you're, you know, you think yourself is so low now that the law has got a hold of you and told you how bad you are? Nope. <laughs> he tells me to embrace the truth about myself. He says, oh yeah, just to let you know, if, if you're willing to take that negative truth and swallow that thing down and see how bad you are, I just want to let you know that uh, I had a son, you know, and he died for you. And he fulfilled the law. And there's this thing called, you know, imputed righteousness. And you get a chance to have that thing by faith, by grace, through faith, in the seed that was promised. <laughs> and you know what happens? He says, oh, you fulfilled the law. Boom. Check mark done. And you get the righteousness that Jesus Christ lived. It's the greatest deal that man's ever been offered. You know, it's the greatest deal. The ones that miss it are the ones that think they, they have some recourse in their own grasp. They think that they have something to offer or they just, they're so offended by the truth that's contained that they just can't embrace the, the truth. And it's a sad place to be in. And I have people I love dearly that are in that same situation and it's, and it's not fun to think about. But the truth of the matter is, I thank God that uh, He just showed me how bad I was. Amen. Pretty simple. When we talk about the law, again, we have to put it in the, right, in the right place. We have to know that it had a purpose. And that purpose is clear. It was until the Lord Jesus Christ came. He says there's a mediator. It's not between, uh, but not uh, a mediator of one, but God is one. We'll take a break right there, and uh, Pastor, he's got a meal with his um, daughters tonight for their birthdays, and so I'll, I'll take up the next, um, the next hour. So any questions before we take a quick break? Went through a, okay, so. Yeah. Brother, we all get that place, man, you know? Get that place where we're down and, you know, we're just like, man... And you think that you can just work your way out of it. You can't. That's never the way it is. You know what happens is, and then the closer, listen, the closer you get to certain people, and the closer that you get uh, to whoever it is, and, and, what, it is, and what, we've, or what we tend to do is we tend to use people as crutches in our life. Right? And there's people that, you know, we respect, and there's people that, you know, we, we view as, you know, more spiritual than us, or folks we look up to, this, that, and the other. And you know what? It's inevitable, it's inevitable that what happens is the Lord, He takes those crutches away from us so that you realize there's a constant reminder that it's you and Him and you and Him alone. It's not me and my wife, it's not me and my kids, it's not me and anybody else, it's me and the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Just like when I came to this truth, when you get saved, it can't be because so-and-so wants you to get saved. And it can't be because, you know, uh, you, know you, can't, you can't judge yourself on the faith of somebody else. It's 100% you and the Lord. That's it. Well, life's the same thing, dude. <laughs> and sometimes you're at work and you feel like horrible and I'm not doing anything and I'm not this, that, and the other. 
you know what? And the devil has a funny way of getting... It's funny how the devil comes to a guy or comes to a, uh, a gal who's got a pocket full of tracks and just got off the altar and never misses a church service and tells them how little they're doing. You know? As if if you were to just add more things to your schedule that you would be in better favor with the Lord. And the truth of the matter is, you won't be. Because you're already in. Now, if the Lord says, hey, add this, add it. And if He doesn't, then don't worry about it. You see what I'm saying? That's the thing. Because anything other than that, that's, it's legalism, and legalism is based on laws. And guess what? They don't liberate anybody. They keep people in bondage. And so, you're not called to bondage. You're called to be free. And you are called to be a servant. And so, whatever capacity the Lord has you serve, serve to the best of your ability. But I see it all the time. Uh, people get the monkey on their back, and they can't seem to shake it, and this, that, and the other. I go back to that sit, walk, stand thing all the time. I think about what God called Abraham to do. I think about how that changed with Moses. Think about how, you know, no matter what it was, you had to constantly get back to that place of sitting. And if you want to be, listen, if you want to be a good runner and you want to be a good walker or a good stander or whatever it is the Lord's got for you, you had better become a really good sitter first. What made David so great? You want to know what made David great? It's because he learned how to sit first. See, it was, out, it was him out in the fields with the sheep uh, before he ever was anointed king singing the hymns and playing his harp and slinging the stones at a tree. And he'd bang them out, bang them out, bang them out. And he'd have a pile of stones there and he'd find a tree and he'd just start whacking that tree and he'd go over there once all the rocks were gone. He'd go and that tree's all blistered up and bark falling off of that thing and he'd get it up and he'd look at another tree and he'd start slinging them again. Man, and he'd get out there and the sheep are, you know, just kind of out there grazing and he's out there singing and he's out there looking up at the stars and talking to God and everything else. You say, what was he doing? Exactly what God wanted him to do. He wasn't out fighting battles. He wasn't out writing hymns. Or, or he wasn't writing scripture. He wasn't, you know what he was doing? He was just serving his God. That's it. And then one day his brother runs in the field and says, you got to get back to the house, David. you got to get back to the house, David. you got to get back to the house. What's the big deal? He's like, I'll watch the sheep. There's a, there's a man from God down there and he wants to talk to you, all, all eight of the brothers. He goes down there, and all of a sudden he kneels down, and Samuel comes over, and he pours a bottle of oil on him, and he thinks in his own little childish mind, he says, I've heard of this before. What is this? This is, this is like royalty. And you know what he found out? He was still no closer to the throne that day. And the Lord had to use a bunch of things to get him to where he had to be. And man, the Lord had to crush him. And the Lord had to put him through all these kinds of things. And you know what? Was, was he out? Yeah, David killed his, uh, you know, Saul killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. He starts serving for the king and everything else. Listen, man, it's all a process. And if the Lord wants you to do something, guess what? He'll make it real evident. You know? So, I don't know whatever's on your back or whatever. My, I, I felt that monkey myself. I know exactly how it feels. And, uh, you know, this kind of stuff in here, it liberates that kind of stuff off you. And I think that's a good thing. So, 
All right, well, let's take a quick five-minute break, and then we'll cut in to we'll try to get through chapter four tonight. Wouldn't that be a, or chapter three tonight? That'd be a blessing, and then we'll have just a few chapters left. <laughs>